All right, this is the uh, first interview recording that we're doing for the uh, the Harbor Pod for the Harbor Ninth Ward podcast, and I uh, I'm starting with the best guy. Am I right? Am I Rio? Absolutely. I mean, my gosh, get the guy that's been here the longest, you know. <laughs> are, are you the longest living member of the ward in this area? Um, of this new ward now, it would be. In in, <laughs> yeah. in this whole area, everybody else has moved. The Chadwicks were, weren't here first. Norm's a couple of years older than I am, but uh, mm-hmm. I'd have to say yes, the original. Do you feel like we're you're being in, infiltrated here? You know, we always planned on people coming one time or another. We hoped for it to stay as a farming community. But uh, dad and I, my, my father who lived here in this home before me, um, we've discussed it because I was taken over on how we'd approach different things. And uh, it was always uh, always in mind that we would just become community leaders and not community pushers. We didn't want to mm. push people away. We wanted to welcome and, and, you know, we all have a place to be in where we end up. And that's where I've kind of always thought it was very important for people to understand how special it is down here. I've been here about six weeks now. It's definitely has a awesome spirit about, and it feels like an honor to live here. So, so, I mean, what's the story of, is this is a long time family farm then? We moved here from Los Angeles in 1975. I was eight years old, seven years old. And, uh, Actually, Neil Christensen, who lives in this area, David Christensen's in our ward, uh, his father's who baptized me. And so, yeah, so it was uh, David's father baptized basically my whole family because we we came as converts to the church, but we had other family members. Um, My my cousin, Michael Dean, who was at the wedding last night, was... uh, he went over to Korea for his wedding in the early 70s, 72, 74, somewhere in that area. And so we've had LDS members in our family. And when we moved up here, um, we've always looked for spirituality and growth. And so we uh, took all the discussions. We actually started um, the elders that came to see us in, in uh, El Monte. It's in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles County. And we stayed in touch with them for a long, long time. They were great. And uh, and then it wasn't until we got to Utah that we, we were baptized into the church. Interesting. So you came to Utah with a few discussions under your belt. You were in the process of learning. Yes. And, and so why did your parents pick Utah? Um, we come here quite a bit. My mother's My mother, her parents lived out in Cedar Fort. And they're, uh, they're actually buried out there in the little cemetery of Cedar Fort. And uh, my Uncle Chet lived here in American Fork. So we came to visit family a lot. And my dad owned a construction company in Los Angeles. And we sold out and became uh, perfectly good city kids turned into pig farmers. So the idea was to start a family farm. Yes. Nice. Yes. And it was a, a pig farm. It was a pig farm, a very cold, wet, messy pig farm. We, we had no idea what we were doing. And uh, my dad, that, that was my dad. He just, yeah. what a blessing that he had the foresight to see this and for what it is now today. And so this house that you're living in now is the one you, you moved into in 75? Yes. Looks a little different because we had a house fire here in 2014. 
So the inside has been done, redone. All, you know, we uh, we almost locked the whole home, which was uh, very heartbreaking to watch my dad look at his home go up in flames because he was getting close to being to going home to our heavenly Father, and it was really mm -hmm. sad to watch him looking at that flame and our our neighbors and everybody come running and it was uh it was something else so the insides now are a little bit different but when we moved down here we were the only ones all the way up from by the railroad tracks you could look down here and it was our home just out there all by itself and wow. uh so we uh yeah it was a challenge because we didn't own any farm equipment we didn't own this was a dirt road from from up near where Jim Carson lives and uh, Tyler uh, uh, Skidmore lives. See, it started dirt there, mm. and and it came all the way down, and we didn't own anything to smooth the roads. We didn't know we were supposed to cow call the county and say, hey, our road's got three-foot roots in it. So we just dealt with it, and, and uh, yeah, here we are today. So it was just a, a slow process of getting farm equipment, figuring out what you're doing and, and making it happen. Oh gosh. Yeah. Making, making feed. Um, the, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of his name. One, there was a fellow up in Highland who owned uh, a meat, uh, a wheat grinder for making feed. My dad found him. I don't know how Bueller, Fred Bueller. We used to go up there to the Bueller's with our truck full of hay and grain and everything. We grind our own pig feed using his equipment. And, um, and then we'd put it in barrels and bring it back down here. And then my dad found a, a connect in Salt Lake City where they made bread. I mean, bread made butter. And so he'd get the waste off the buttermilk, all that. And we'd put that in barrels and brought it down here. And then he figured out, you know what, to help on the feed cost, he got uh, together with some bread people that made bread got some bread, send it up to the University of Utah, had it analyzed as a feed product. And my, you know, a lot of pig farmers and stuff are actually using uh, bakery waste now. That was my dad that started that. He took it in, had it analyzed for the protein. And, and uh, so we started, we'd be out there with a burn barrel, just freezing, opening bread up to these pigs and just going, gosh, dad, what were you thinking? But here we are today. So how old were you when you moved to Utah? Seven. Your developmental years, that's was really here in Utah. Yes. Between here and Newport Beach, California. So you go back and forth or Yes, my my, my mother and my father, they separated in, in uh when I was nine. It oh, didn't take long when we got here. Mom went back to California, dad didn't want to leave. And <laughs> so I stayed with my dad. I'm nice. that was uh my dad was not only my dad, he was my best friend. Mm, that's sweet. How many siblings did you have? I'm the youngest of seven. So they, they moved here with a big family ready to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's it. And we were kind of like, what's going on? You know, I had two sisters, two sisters, one sister that was completely married and moved out. But my other, you know, but they lived here in Utah. And then my other sister, Sally, she was... Uh, starting to date she's out of high school but she was here and then my sister lita when we moved here she was a senior in high school so she would have graduated in a royal high in el monte with you know all of her cheer she was in cheerleading and 
my family, we are in, in California, we are all sports. Everything was sports. And uh, so my sister's cheerlead. My mom was a cheerlead, uh, cheerleading uh, a coach. My dad was a football coach. We all played football, baseball. And so uh, when we moved here, it was very different. And uh, my poor sister, Lita, I think about that because at that time, they had high school graduation in uh, the tabernacle, what we call the Alpine Tabernacle. It used yeah. to be called the American Fork Steakhouse. Mm. And uh, so it was like we're, we're all sitting in there because we had other graduations in California. But when they are going through everything, we had to sit in reverence. There was no <laughs> clapping. There was no yelling. There was no yay. And so we're all kind of going, you know, we're, we're from California. And we're all sitting there kind of going, what's up with these people? It's kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Glad, you know, luckily for these other generations, they stopped doing that and started letting them celebrate their graduation. <laughs> so how would you describe like your your faith development as a, a young boy? Because your family just joined the church. Were they all in pretty quick? Gosh, there's so many family dynamics. Um, yeah, we're there for, you know, the, the, the first portion of our young life when we all started participating we went to the church up in american fork here that's now used as the uh they built the organ there for the the tab for the uh the the conference center it's oh. on second west and second south or second west and yeah second south and um that's when we went to primary on wednesdays and we went to church in the morning and went to sunday school and then we'd go back in the afternoon for sacrament and um, my brothers passed the sacrament and um, we all sat there as a family in the pew and wiggled around. And then, uh, of course, after my mother and father divorced, it uh, some went with my mom. My brothers went with my mom. My sisters at that time now were moved out. And uh, it was um, challenging. Utah at that time, American Fork, Utah, wasn't really open to outsiders much. So it was a it was a battle. I used to go to Greenwood Elementary School, and it was a, it was a battle on the way to anything with uh, being the new kid in town. So I really didn't I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't like it at mm. all. I was always constantly fighting with somebody. It was constantly. Uh, you know, oh, look, the California freak. And and so it was really hard at me as a young man at that time. Um, but my dad and I, we moved, we, we, we stayed here. The family, you know, we were all together. And then pretty soon we, we actually bought a meat market in, in American Fork. We owned a meat market here in American Fork. And and so dad tried his best. He, he was working, yeah. working up a at a gold mine in Merker during the night, going to BYU during the day and uh, just trying to do our, our businesses at, you know, in between those times. So we were here. Um, I've gone through several bishops here, went through Boy Scouts here, went through, you know, we hiked the high UNAs to get our badges. And I, um, when we would, uh, collect fast offerings. Nobody drove us around. 
um, <laughs> we walked. Yeah, long walk. Yes, and it was very spread out. So we we hopped pastures, you know, and and uh, so when we go out and collect fast offerings here, so there was always that there was always that um, that seed in me. Um, I've done different things, Christian wise, spiritual wise. I've I've hmm. I've searched, and I I encourage everybody. Gosh, go to go see how it's done. Go go to. I love Calvary Chapel. I do. Oh my gosh, I love watching the people at Calvary sing and clap and rejoice in the Lord. It's just so awesome to watch. Mm. My sisters are devout Christians. They they uh, they freaked out when I got involved in the church again. Um, mm. But so we had we had uh, had always had that. My dad and I, when we were down in Newport Beach, we were part of the Second Ward. I you know that's where I became a priest and started blessing the sacrament. And, and that's when, uh, I, you know, started becoming of age and I went into a, a um, a hell on wheels type attitude, I guess, uh, just, uh, not really caring about much of anything until, <laughs> you know, my mid, my mid twenties and, um, got to experience a lot of life and, if anybody that listens to this that's going through struggles with some of their teenagers and and uh, needs somebody to come into their home and talk with that, you know, all may seem lost, but they're, you know, through the Lord, man, there's always that way out. And, you know, it's just keeping your eyes open even when you're in the midst of darkness. You know, I, my life has taken very, very many turns. So during those teenage years, you know, you start blessing the sacrament and whatnot, like, did you feel like you were on path to just be a committed Latter-day Saint, do the mission thing and all that? No, I just thought this is what we were supposed to do. Oh, yeah, just going through the motions. No, because that, that wasn't part of our upbringing, you know, which is yeah. which was um, kind of one of those things that you feel jealous about as a kid. Because, you know, going, oh, my friends around here, my friends home, you know, they're all talking about going on a mission and going, to, you know, doing this and doing that. And it was just... I was oblivious to it, to really. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, let's go out and go fishing, you know. I mean, living down here, we hunt and fish, and we camped out on the lake shore, you know. So it was, uh, wow, yeah, it was it was quite different down here. We'd go clubbing carp for fun because all the carp would come up into the ponds, and so we would go out there and, and beat up on these poor fish, and uh, that was the way we just kind of sloshing through the swamp and having a good time and going fishing at night and hunting. And so that was it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm LDS. I got to prepare for a mission. And this, you know, it yeah. was uh, you heard all these people talk about it, but I really had no no guidance in that way. Did you feel you had like a solid friend group that uh, was they sort of guided your, your path as a teenage in those teenage years? Yeah. I, well, we, you know, I had a solid friend group, but it, it existed of every walk of life. I think that was probably, mm. you know, I, as a, if I can speak honestly, that's where the war, the world, the Lord, every everything that's worked on me up to this point. When as I as a a young man, my thirties and forties, I started recognizing that this was my training. My, my hardships were my training. My, my opportunities were part of my training. Um, I hated it. I hated some of the things that I, um, 
I was uh, addicted to. I hated mm. uh, the the worldly things. I really honestly did. For many times, I would hit my knees and say, "Please, Lord, take this stuff away. I don't, I don't mm. like this. It hurts me. It hurts me." But I've had a lot of opportunities with people that came into my life where um, I've taken people off the street, called their parents, counseled with parents, you know, and I'm just a young man. I'm, you know, 35, 30, 35 around there. And I'm 24, 23, all the, and I get these opportunities to call young people's parents and say, Hey, this, this is a jungle out here. And you need to welcome your home. You welcome your kids home. That was I figured out later on in life that was my mission. It comes yeah. in it comes in different ways. Is uh, I was comfortable in the lion's den. Interesting. It, it didn't bother me, and I knew yeah. how to get. You know, you hear the story of the the man stuck in the hole. Somebody jumps down in there with him and says, "Come on, I know the way out." Yeah. And that was me. Is I got to I had the opportunity um, personally to put people on buses and send them back home to their parents and and help them get away from something that they thought they were lost they would never get out of wow and that wow. was that now as my uh that was my calling yeah. that was my mission field and uh but it wasn't it wasn't it wouldn't have come without the the church leaders that i had met the people in in from uh, uh, Bishop Holland, Damar Young, um, the different bishops I've had, uh, gosh, just several that I've met with in their office when they've asked me to teach the 17-year-olds. I'm yeah. like, did you ask their parents? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and I've asked the, I asked the bishop at that time, you know, I said, Bishop, what, what part of my past do I share? You know, and he yeah. says, "Real, that's between you and the Lord." And uh, it was a great experience. I I have a that's lot good. of stories on that of the young men and young women that came to me and said, "Thank you, you made yeah. it real." You know, and it's like, well, because it is. And I love that you keep bringing that, that as far as an elders' core and whatnot. It's really powerful. So, as you were aging out of high school and sort of becoming into adulthood. Was there a general plan? Was the plan to take over the farm? Did you want to get out of the farm? I mean, what do you remember from that that transition of life? Oh my gosh! At that time, I was hanging out with rock and roll bands in Hollywood. Oh wow! Yeah, I was uh, I was a ro I was a stage manager, road crew for rock bands that are popular these days. Um, some uh, some of the major rock bands. Then that's my brother was a concert promoter, and I hung out with rock bands and in Hollywood, and, <coughs> and um, that's where it scared the the crap out of my dad. Was uh, I was living in a studio in Watts in Los Angeles, and and uh, the little back alley, and showering under a a, a garden hose, and it was it was. Um, <laughs> no, had no idea where this was going to take me. But it was, was it just a job that you enjoyed or? Yeah, I just, you know what? I had a good, I lost my hearing though when I was 17 in a motorcycle wreck. But going up to that point, my, my, when I was trying to 
start my my life. Um, I grew up in a construction family, so I ended up in that. But I got in a motorcycle wreck, and I lost a hearing in one side of my head. And so I uh, got, I had to move away from the music because as I started developing in music, I you know I figured out when I go into recording studios, I need to hear out of both ears, and that was mm -hmm. kind of heartbreaking because I wanted to record music. My you know, a lot of people's heroes are different. Mine was Ted Templeton, me, the, uh, a music engineer. You know, that was what I wanted to be as a music engineer. Wow. And uh, but when I lost my hearing, but then I still kept around the bands for a while until 24, 25. And and then uh, I went to Arizona. And here's the awesome thing about the Lord, because he took me away from this. I started getting away from the music and I started doing other things, getting back into construction because I had to, I had to grow up again, pay bills, dang it. And so uh, <laughs> I went back into construction and, and uh, one Friday afternoon, I stopped working in Redondo beach, California. And I started work in Arizona on yeah. Monday and through, I was at that time, because of uh, I didn't drink or anything, but I hung out at this pub and deli, this bar, bar and grill, and um, that's where I met my my wife Nicole, my first wife, mm -hmm. and uh, who's the mother of my of uh, two of my boys, and uh, we started dating, started hanging out, and they would ask me at that bar. I was their designated driver, so I I would drive their patrons home and uh that's where I, I once again i had people like hey tell me about you and this and that or and being in mesa arizona you know it was very common to be lds and are yeah. you lds is that why you don't drink and you know and i'm like well that's no that's not it you know because <laughs> at that time nicole started to express to me wanting to because she grew up in mesa and the kids that went uh -huh. to seminary and this and that. And we never really spoke too much about the church. She just said that she wanted to get involved with the Lord. So I had a friend that led the worship for a Calvary in, in our uh, uh, church in, um, in Phoenix. It was one of the guys I used to rock and roll with in Hollywood. So we'd go to his church, you know, and he was, you know, he was up there. What what they call the music worship is he was, he was part of the people who, who played in the band and sang and got the congregation going him and his, his wife, his wife was a, a, a dancer at the Tropicana and he was a rock star and they found the Lord in their life and totally changed and moved to Arizona and just became this wholesome devout Christian family, which is awesome. And, uh, he's a really good friend of mine. We talk still today. And, uh, so we started going to his church and, and I told I, I told Nicole I said it's gotta it's gotta be yours. You have to know where you want to be. The the Lord is very specific in this way of guiding you. I know this. This is my testimony to anybody. Is listen, you know, if you've got questions, my goodness, because Joseph Smith walked into that grove, he didn't start there. That was just one of the places he finally ended up in. And that, I think, yeah. is where people really have to realize he didn't go, you know, oh, he prayed and then boom, the beam of lights and he's standing in a grove. I mean, sure, we've condensed the story, but it was 
it was a it was a process that he went through. The Lord mm. was strengthening him. The Lord was, you know, when he had to start asking those questions, where am I supposed to be? It wasn't because he just looked down the street and seen all these churches and went, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He went <laughs> and experienced and he wasn't feeling the spirit. And that's the way I guided my wife. I said, let's just keep going till you feel the spirit. And then finally she goes, hey, you know what? I would like to go to a Mormon church. And I go, okay. And did she know that you were? No, nope, she never said anything. I didn't want to oh. guide her that way. I really uh. didn't. And and we actually, she was working at a place called Waldo's Barbecue in Mesa, Arizona. And the owner was LDS. And he put a lot of uh, pre-missionaries would come work there that work the save money for their, their mission. And... She came home from a, a, a white elephant gift, and one of the gals that she worked with gave her a Book of Mormon with some scriptures written down in the front. <laughs> so she's like, oh, my gosh, I got a Book of Mormon. And, I, you know, and I said, great, sit down, let's go through it. And we started looking up the scriptures, and I go, oh, yeah, and dun, 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 dun. And she goes, how do you know this? I said, Nicole, I'm, I'm LDS. She goes, why haven't you ever said anything? I said, because I didn't want to be that influence. I wanted the Lord to come to you in your way. And then I'd help mm. you strengthen that. And I go, and my patience paid off because here you are. You know, and uh, she goes, well, what do we do? And I said, well, ask your friend at work, who's the mission president? And let's get the missionaries over here because you're going to have to go through some discussions. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you know all this stuff. And I just go, well, you know, <laughs> it's my way. <laughs> and, uh, and how old were you at this point? Uh, I was 20 or wait, 31, 32. Okay. All right. And so uh, 31. Yeah, 31. And you and Nicole are not married at this point? Um, yes, yes. We are expecting our first child. Oh, okay. And she's investigating. Okay. Yep. She, so, you know, and that was a, a lot of the things because, see, Nicole had her wild spot too but mm -hmm. you know we both agreed if we were going to get married and have children it's you know it's chill time you know er, put the brakes on let's let's get real because we gotta you know if we're going to bring a life into this world we're going to guide them properly and yeah. um so we went through the the discussions my sisters god bless them sent me envelopes of anti-mormon material and this and that <laughs> and, which was an awesome story is uh the uh the uh, missionaries were over one time because we were going through the discussions and they are sitting down. My sister sent me a bunch of stuff and I opened it up. And this was really neat about the, the, the vision of the two the partners in the mission field because we were sitting there and we had all this stuff and we were going to ask them questions on it because, you know, Nicole wanted to know what, why, why are they, you know, why do people fight against this? So we sat there in our living room, and one of the one of the young men picked up a packet and started reading through it. And his partner just very politely reached over, took it out of his hands, and sat it down. You know, and I was I noticed this, you know, and I said, Why'd you do that? He says, Because we're here to prostate and we don't need to we don't need to be misguided. And mm -hmm. Brother Honecker, we'd appreciate if we didn't have to go through these type of deals. How about we just tell you what we think's the truth and let the spirit work through that? And I thought that was just one of the most awesome things I'd ever seen from a young man that old, that age to have that wisdom in him. 
and I thought, oh my gosh, okay, we're we're in the right place. We're we're in the right mm. place right now. The spirit just became so full in our home at that time, and we went through all the discussions, and then it started getting close to uh, baptism. So we're going to the ward, and it was <laughs> we had a we have a newborn. And we were in a ward in Mesa that was all over 60. I mean, all their kids were grown. And I mean, there was a few young couples, but not too many. So we walk in with a newborn and it was squawk. And then all the heads were like, Whew. but we hardly seen our child during sacrament. It was past. It was like everybody wanted to hold the baby. Justice was awesome. And it was just a neat experience. But the bishop called me in and says, um, Hey, Brother Honecker, we got your records. And uh, I said, okay. And he goes, I see you hold the priesthood. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, you're going to baptize your wife. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, huh? No. And I go, oh, gosh, Bishop, I'm not worthy of, of that. You know, and he says, well, Rio, get worthy. You know, and uh, so I baptized my wife. And I baptized oh, cool. my two sons. So did it feel like a fresh start at that point that you were headed down this path with this young family? You're all in. Well, and that was it. At that point now with my immediate family was, um, I have to, tr I have to stay true to my word. You know, you ask questions, but follow where you're led. Oh my gosh, follow. Don't, don't fight it. If it starts sending you a place, don't, keep trying to pull away. I mean, if you're, if you're holding on to that rod, hold on tight now, because there's going to be so many things that are going to try to pull us away mm -hmm. and uh, don't do it. Don't do it. It's going to, I mean, you're going to get slippery here and there. And I have, I, I, I wish I could say that everything ended at that point and it's all, you know, and the pearly <laughs> gates opened up happily ever after. Yeah. But it wasn't because yeah. My calling was still what it was, and I believe it to this day is that's that's my calling here. If somebody needs help, somebody's presented to me, you know, uh, uh, fortunately, because of a, a gentleman in my life here in Utah, um, Matt Blackhurst, who was a bishop here, and, and uh, he, we talked one day, and he was sharing his, his uh, struggles, and I was sharing mine, and he asked me one time, he says, Rio, he says, uh, have you ever asked the Lord what you're supposed to do with it instead of just take it away? And this is just recently, this is just a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. And I said, no, it's always just been, Lord, help me take this away. And he says, why don't you start praying? Why do I have this and what am I supposed to do with it mm -hmm. and help me control it? And yeah. that changed. But. Yeah. From from the Mesa point of view, when we got baptized, we went in, started teaching sunbeams, started doing, you know, we we're like, okay, we're in, yay! And then, yeah. and then uh, we got divorced, and that was ugly. Wow. How long ago after was the baptism, did the divorce happen? <sighs> Seven, six years. And you were in Mesa the whole time? In Queen Creek. We bought a house out in okay. Queen Creek, which mm -hmm. is uh, south of Mesa. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we were the only subdivision out there. So we were, the, wow. you know, a couple of people who were in our ward up in Mesa, 
the the younger people bought homes out there too. So we were like, hey, you know, and <laughs> and what were you doing for work at that time? I built Johnson Ranch. I moved all the dirt. I was I'm uh-huh. a, I run heavy equipment at that time. I was what they call a grade checker. I'm an on-site surveyor. And so that I was out there working and uh, everything seemed to be okay. But we, we had our struggles, Uh, you know, the adversary got his claws in and we let him and Mm -hmm. it became very shaky for a long time. But I am so blessed to say today, even when uh, I ended my marriage and I'm the one that ended it, I, I had, I got to go. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but she's married to an absolutely wonderful guy who was just super awesome to my kids. What a stepdad. Calvin is Mm -hmm. just an awesome man. And uh, he's a delivery guy for Coca-Cola. My ex-wife worked for a 911 place for a long, long time, for like 13 years, but it closed. And uh, now she is a temple worker at in the uh, Gilbert Mesa Temple. Oh, nice. So she's, uh, um, she ended up staying and, um, Calvin is, uh, a young men's president and Audrey's the, uh, uh, um, what do you call him? (laughs) Oh goodness. My mind's going so many places right now. Um, she's with the women, just the young women. Yeah. So, um, that's awesome. That's where I kind of go. Well, I, I can do, I'll, I'll take that yeah, one. Kind of. So, but I imagine being in your mid thirties, now you're divorced. I mean, that was probably really difficult. Very. How did you, how did you make it through that? I didn't. Hmm. I didn't. I, I hit some new lows. I, I hit some areas where I'd allowed my, my, um, I, it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. I was all over the place with my children being in Arizona. And I came up here because my, my dad, hey, I could use a hand up here. Why don't you come stay up here? And I'm like, dad, I'm not coming home. So I stuck around Phoenix for a while, but it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, my relations with people got worse and worse. And my life got very dark. And uh, I just, I secluded. I didn't want nothing to do with anybody. I didn't want to be around people. Um, the places I stayed, I, I, I stayed inside. The only time I went out was to grocery shop or something like that. And it just, um, a lot of drinking came involved with it. Um, yeah. And I just, uh, I drifted away. And it yeah. was... Um, when I came back up here in 2004, 2005, I came back to Utah and took over the farm from dad. He was starting to slow down. So, um, and everybody, so you were in, you were in Phoenix area that, that entire time since your divorce until 2005, just working and just and working and, Trying to survive. Yeah, trying to survive, you know. Popped back to California for a little bit where my family was and, you know, for a couple of months and went, nah, you know, Mm -hmm. I I missed my kids. So I'd get back down there where I could see my kids. 
and um, I came up here. Um, uh, my dad helped me because in uh, in that time things got really, like I said, really dark, really ugly, <clears throat> and um, I was put on a bus in Mesa, Arizona, and I was going to my sister's house in Palm Springs. My sister left a forward ticket, twenty dollars in a in a letter it said, "Love you, Re, but we have small children and we can't have you in our home." Mm. So I'm in uh, Palm Springs, midnight. Just walked off a bus as what do I do where I mean it was that horrid where I was wow. just so dark and just so alone at that time and of course you know I'm just like hey man what what, what are we doing here father what are we doing what's going on and uh, I took the forward ticket and I I got off the bus in Provo Utah um, hungry because we had to stop over in Las Vegas and I was so terrified when I got off the bus in Vegas, being Sin City, I just sat on a bench and didn't move. I didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to see anything, didn't want anything. I just, right now, I was so broken. <clears throat> I went from being a Sunday school teacher, owning my own house, company trucks, running multi-million dollar jobs to a guy that doesn't have vehicle, doesn't have a penny to his name, doesn't have anything. Wow. Sitting, just being dropped off by family members that didn't even want me in their home. And, uh, uh, and what what year was this about? Um, this was 2004. A rock bottom moment, it sounds like. Oh, we went, man, it was a slippery slide. And, yeah. And um, I got kicked out of a homeless shelter. <laughs> oh, goodness. I was at, I went to a homeless shelter just because I just didn't. It was getting bored. I lost my my job, and I I gave my wife the family vehicle because I always had company trucks. So I went, you know, the companies I worked for, but finally nobody because of where I was um, didn't want nothing to do with me either. So I had no vehicle. I had nothing. I had nothing. Wow. And um, so I, I, I get off a bus from Provo, and there's my dad. And he took me from there. He took me to the Provo Hospital and checked me into a, uh, a mental facility. Mm. And um, on the fourth floor over in the Provo Hospital. And I spent a couple of weeks there just trying to get a grasp on what I was going to do. Yeah. And then um, I came back here. And just kind of stayed canatonic for a while. I don't remember even talking for about a month or so. Um, my dad would just kind of help me through it. And um, you'll make it, Ree. You'll make it. Hey, breakfast is ready. And uh, I would go to church and just sit up in the front. And uh, and I knew everybody. That was, you know, that was the comfort. Was I was over in the church and I knew everybody from when I was a kid. Yeah. So they knew who I was, and um, I'm just sitting up front and just listening. And then uh, Kathy Robinson, who's in the ward over here by the Boat Harbor Road, um, came up and said, "Hey, I got a friend." You know, and being over forty at this time, 
single in an LDS ward. You know, I, I was, uh, <laughs> hey, I got a sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was like, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. I'm so broken right now. Nobody wants part of me. Um, so I spent about a year, year and a half of just trying to get my, my feet back under me. And, uh, and I did. And I was introduced to Audrey. And um, she was, uh, my dad and I received the priesthood together. And uh, the priesthood. The McKelsic priesthood. They thought that was neat, you know, an adult son and dad. Yeah, that's cool. And so uh, Audrey, we, we, you know, I gave her a call. And the story is she fell for me on the first, on the first day. Wow. Literally. Because we walked in, it was raining. She was on crutches. She had had ankle surgery, and she was on crutches. And we walked in to a, a, a sub zero, and the floor was wet, and she slipped and fell. Oh no! Oh, and I'm looking at, oh my gosh, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed. And I'm like, oh, so she literally fell for you. <laughs> That's it. I told her, you know, and I go, okay, are you okay? And she goes, yes. I go, okay, well, now I got to laugh. <laughs> I go, oh, my God. And uh, we we dated for a little over a year, and then we got married in Salt Lake City Temple. Oh, wow. And uh, so she was with me when I got my endowments in the, the, the temp temple. Mm-hmm. And so she was there. And went through with me when I when I when I first got my endowments and and uh, and then we we are where we are right now. Yeah. And so, were you living in your in your father's home at that time when you got married? Well, when we got no, when we got married, we owned a home over in Pleasant Grove. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But you're still working the farm. Yes. Now, see, I started a butcher shop down here. When we first got married, she allowed me to stop working. She worked at the prison. Um, mm-hmm. She just retired from the prison, actually, recently from 21 years. And wow. so um, she allowed me to go to school up in Logan. So she had family members that owned a dairy in Logan. So I would go to Logan on Monday and go to school to learn retail meat. And... Mm-hmm. And then I'd work at the dairy at night milking cows so I could make some gas money to come back and forth here. And so I was learning to be a butcher and and milking cows and driving back and forth, you know, on the weekends. And, you know, when I had a couple of days, so I'd come scoop back down here. And, and then I started, I started, I had already started the, uh, the butcher business, but I only learned it from watching videos. But more people started asking me, and I started before the house fire, you know, before 2014, I built my shop, and I was under inspection. I was under the state and everything down here, but then the fire wiped my whole shop out, and they didn't pay for anything because I didn't have it insured. So we went into debt on that and started rebuilding again, And uh, but then it just got too hard. My shoulders gave out here just a year and a half ago. Two years ago, I got a new shoulder. Coming 12th, I'm getting a new knee. Um, wow. So it's it, there's been this constant pound, pound, pound. But I, through energy work, through working with people who 
who are LDS and also understand energies. Um, I found out I have a name for my, my adversary. And so now that I can call him by name and recognize his, his deceit and how they work on me, um, it's made life a little easier. I can, I can smile more when, when things are breaking on me and it's just consistent pound and all these, you know, and I just go, I know you're there. Gosh, leave. <laughs> you're not going to win, you know? And yeah. that's, that's my, that's my story now is you're not going to win. Yeah, I'm, I, awesome. I'm destined, you know, people yeah. used to say, well, what, if, you know, what if Jesus just came, walked up to you, you know, and I'd say, well, you know, I'm with you, bud. Can I make a sandwich, you know, before we go? So I have something, you know, but let's rock and roll, man. Let's go get them. Tell me the story of the house fire. Oh, gosh. Okay. At this time, we got married. We were living over in Pleasant Grove. My dad's health started declining a little bit. And uh, I was always here because we, I, I had 52 sows. I had a bunch of pigs down back. Mm-hmm. And so I was here morning till night. And then, you know, by the time I got done with the pigs and then I'd cut a little bit, a little bit of meat, plus I'm building. And so my dad, like, he kept showing up on Saturday mornings. Hey, I was thinking, why don't you guys come in here and take over? Why don't you guys come here and take over? And we discussed it. And this went on for about six months or so. And this is after I got out of school and we're trying to get everything going. And I asked her, I said, hey, we can move down to the farm if you'd like, and we can rent the place out over in Pleasant Grove. And she says, oh, okay. My, and my wife and my dad got along at that time. Mm-hmm. But when we moved in, my dad was uh, a different type of gentleman from, you know, the 50s and 60s. And, you know, and uh, my wife was very dynamic. She worked as a prison guard. So... <laughs> We, uh, <clears throat> there was a bit of a struggle there. And so we lived here on the farm at that time. And, uh, we decided to come down here. And one morning we woke up and Audrey goes, Oh, I love it. Look at all the fog. And I look outside and it was really smoky. And I went, huh? And I laid back down and we were laying there talking and uh, the light above us just turned orange and then went boop, and it was gone. I'm like, oh, that ain't good. So I got up to start, you know, and I, uh, I got up. And, hey, Dad, are you okay? Yeah, what's going on? You know, and I'm like, what? I don't know. And I walked out the back door, and the garage is right there. And uh, I see a glow in there. So when I opened the door, I flamed the, fi- I, uh, flamed the fire, and it just went woof. Oh. And... I got everybody out of the house. My dad grabs a hose, but we're on a well pressure without the water pump going. So we'd lost all of our electricity and my dad's trying to spray a hose and I'm grabbing onto him. Get away, dad. And Alex was, you know, in high school at that time or junior high at that time. And that's the one I just married yesterday. And uh, he's screaming and yelling. We're like, get the cars away from the house, get the car, get the trailer, get it, you know. We had everything up near the house, and we were trying to get things away, and it's just started in the garage, and it grew and grew. And then the neighbors, you know, the Lloyds, uh, I guess uh, Carolyn tells me, Monty looks outside and goes, the Honickers are on fire. So the Lloyds come running over, and then the, the, the um, Brent and Carrie Willard lived here in front of us. 
and the Willards come running. Everybody's trying to help, and and then the am uh, the ambulance, the well, yeah, the ambulance and the fire truck, and everybody shows up, and I'm just in my garments, running around trying to get things done. <laughs> yeah. I had no shoes on, and it's rainy, and it's just mud and cold. Yeah. What time of year was it? This uh, it was October. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so. Brent and Carrie come over and Brent's like, real, you got to put some clothes on, man, you know? <laughs> and so he handed me a bunch of clothes and some shoes and, and the fire department comes showing up and everybody's starting to show up for us. And we're just like, oh my gosh. And the fire department starts putting the fire out. And then I'll, we're standing there, my dad and I, and my dad's just, he's just glossed over. And I'm like, oh gosh, no. Because all of his mother's stuff is in here. All of his, mm -hmm. you know, every bit of his life is in here. And yeah. I just, my heart was breaking, looking at my dad, watching this. And I was going, oh, pop, man. And we're standing next to the chief. And the guy with, on the hose was putting the fire out. And all of a sudden, the water just goes, boom, no water. And the chief looks over at the engine, and he goes, no water. And he goes, hey, do you have a, you know, somewhere we could get water? And I go, I can kick a wellhead off, you know. What I mean, what do you need? And um, Lehigh shows up with their tanker, but while well, Lehigh was on their way, because you know the 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 chief called Lehigh because they had a big water truck, and uh, those guys, it was amazing. These 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 men in our fire department dropped everything. Threw on their masks, their their coats, zipped everything up, pulled out those big prods that they have, and they came in this this house, and took care of the fire by hand. Wow! And uh, it come to find out that this was the first fire for five of them. <laughs> yes. Wow. And so, and now American Fork owns a tanker, which. I don't know why, because they built next to us now. Well, this is why they bought it was for down here. Uh -huh. But uh, now we have a fire hydrant just, you know, 100 feet away. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll never have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's right there. No. But um, <laughs> that was devastating. And uh, yeah. Audrey and I at that time were uh, studying to be mentors. And uh, so... We were mentoring people. We were doing a lot of things, and that was one of, the, one of the things we started sharing. We found out a lot about fires and what you, mm. uh, how to handle it, what you should have in safes, what you should have in another spot, not your home, to walk through your home, video record everything. The, mm. the, the, the silverware, take your video, your cupboard, yeah. all your pots and pans. You'll forget what you own. And go through your closet, go through your drawers, you know, we'd tell people, you know, um, take your insurance papers in that video and have them at a different place, safety deposit box, a friend's fam, uh, a friend's home, you know, mm -hmm. separate things that you, that you need that are important to you. Don't have everything in one spot because it was, uh, it was quite the battle. And of course, okay. everybody's got advice when it comes to tragedy. <laughs> And trying to sift through all the advice and all the different things to do was extremely difficult. So did your, I, I mean, the house was unlivable at that point, right? And so how did you, where'd you live? If you go under the freeway heading out, uh -huh. there's that little brick, the brick, the, the brick home right there. Next mm -hmm. to it, there's a duplex. And that used to be owned by the Coleman's. 
Well, they had just fixed that thing up and, and it was empty. And we were there wanting to put us in hotels. And, you know, we spent about a week in a hotel. And, and uh, you know, the insurance company was, you know, griping already. We hadn't even begun bids and things. And so we, uh, I got a hold of the owners, the new owners that just remodeled that. And so we moved into that. All, all of us, uh, Alex, my dad, and Audrey and I, we all moved into that place because our house, we're renting it out. So we couldn't say, hey, we got, we need our house. Can you leave? <laughs> so we, uh, we ended up renting that to be closed because I still had animals. I still, my, my cooler was full of meat because it was near the deer hunt. Uh -huh. And so I had a bunch of meat and Carson Meats that was up here. They, they sold out. But um, Wade and Francis showed up with their their, their semi-cooler and uh, took everything for me and got it all cut up for me. Every oh, wow. uh, This community came together so awesome for us. Yeah, and, that's uh, cool. and it was really neat, that part of it, to see people come together like they did. But it was also... It was a blow. There's just you, you can't really describe the numbness you feel. So what date? Uh, what day were you able to move back in? It was uh, it was eighteen months. It took us to move back in. Mm. Eighteen months nice. because nice. It, it happened in October, and mm. so you know, getting every you know by the time you get the insurance adjustment and everything, and then now we're into March, you know, and things and. I started rebuilding my shop and I was building pig pins out on the, the slab that the garage was on because I had to get going. So I had a generator and I had to keep the pig because I had farrowing and all these different things happening. And then we had contractors showing up and giving bids and dealing with the insurance company. And it was uh, it was mad. It was mad. I sent my dad to Palm Springs. Um, mm. He went to stay with my sister for a while. You know, after we got through the initial. Okay. Pop, you got to go, you know, it's yeah. cold and, and go stay with Lita, you know, my sister, Lita, come on, dad, we'll go to Mexico. And, uh, so my dad for five months went down to, went down to California and stayed mm -hmm. with my sister. And, uh, and then we just kind of handled it. And so how does, how did your, uh, your dad's story continue after that? My dad was a, uh, a good, a good man, but he also had his, his flaws, and um, as Audrey and I were moving into the, hey, come take over role mm -hmm. to uh, my dad feeling like he was losing control. And um, so he started fighting back a little bit. And that's where mm -hmm. Audrey and dad's relationship kind of went down, downhill. And uh, we asked the people who were renting our farm to move our farm, our house to move out. And then we went in there and they had destroyed the inside of our home. So now we just got done rebuilding this house. We had to rebuild our other house. This is your Pleasant Grove house. And so Audrey and I did it. We we went in there because we were, we were going to just paint it, sell it, or you know buy another house. Because at this point, Dad and, and Audrey weren't talking much. And, you know, and I had to choose my wife, my dad. <laughs> so it was a little difficult. Um, I uh, dad just kind of picked up, and he just wasn't the same after that. 
kind of, yeah. and that's when uh, we found out he had a, a pulmonary disease and he was having a hard, hard time breathing. And um, we started doing tests. He started going down to Mexico and doing uh, uh, bone marrow stuff or uh, um, mm-hmm. different things down there. My sister had beat cancer with a, a group she was working with down in, in uh, Mexico. You know, um, stuff they don't allow here in the U.S. to happen. So dad was going down there with her. You know, he'd fly down there and go with my sister down to Mexico, kind of back and forth. But he just started slowing down. My dad, before that, was out there bucking bales of hay with me, riding a tractor, plowing, doing, you know, my dad was skiing heavenly at 74 you know i mean he was, oh wow oh yeah he had his outfit he had his k2 skis you know and his all black outfit and you know he was we had a <laughs> a, a timeshare and we'd go up to hut four and mammoth and dad would ski and that was that was his thing he loved skiing and and then that started slowing down you know we go up here up to sundance and he'd come he'd just take his time just and that was he, um, he had his bicycle, and he stopped riding his beach cruiser around. He had, uh, everybody knew him around here from his, his ugly green truck, but it was, <laughs> he had glass packs on it. It's very loud, and it was just, you know, they were, oh, that's your dad? Yeah. And he, <laughs> he had his little dog that he took everywhere, and, uh, and he just started slowing down more and more. And then when this development started, um, I like I said I I done this stuff for 38 years and I know the rules and mm-hmm. the American Fork City let these people break the rules a lot and mm-hmm. it's my belief they killed my dad. Mm-hmm. He couldn't open so up sorry. his windows. He couldn't. He had his cats. You know he had too many cats, and he kept his litter box clean, but the the, the it was just rancid. Um. He, he couldn't open up his windows. His house was always covered with dust. And mm-hmm. he just never, he, he finally, they finally put him on oxygen and he would have a hard time getting down the stairs, get in his car. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would park right next to the front door and were just a couple of steps to get down. But it would take him a minute when he got down there sit in his car because I just have a, I just drove up over the lawn and parked his car for him right here so he could just take his oxygen off and sit in the car and then put that one on and it would take him a minute and I watched this decline and uh, <clears throat> but the night he left everybody was here all my brothers and sisters flew in mm-hmm. um, he was on hospice for a little bit and they gave him I, uh, his hospice nurses were great and, uh, but they nailed it on the time they knew, you know, they've done this plenty of times where it gets yeah. to this point. And so we, you know, we were prepared. Everything was well prepared and, yeah. uh, prepared enough for me to have the home. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, so I'm the, I'm the youngest of seven, Yeah, yeah. but, uh, we, everybody knew it. I mean, cause it was me and dad, you know, what was the, the month and year he died? He just died uh, April 20th last year. As far as the development, like, was there a, a moment or day where where it started? or? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, uh, okay, just to let you know the dynamics of this place down here. There was, when we lived here, 
We actually stood the walls for the Chadwick home. We helped the Barlows dig their basement. We, uh, you know, it, we're coming down the road from the railroad tracks. The Christiansons lived over there. And that was the, that was the first stop is the, the house, the Christensen house. That was Grandma Christensen. So we'd stop right there and talk to her and give her, because we there was asparagus that used to grow all over down here. So on our way home from school, we'd pick asparagus and drop some off. And, you know, if we had gotten hit by a bee or a, a horse fly, you know, she'd put mud on it for us. And so and then we'd come walking down our house. Well, when the Finns, there was a mink farm where all these homes were. And the Finns built their mink farm down here. And Dixie and Don Finn, they used to have to come through our house, our property to get down to theirs where they built their home. So when when they got in, then the Willards built a house right here, um, right in front of us. And at that time, they didn't want anybody to be able to develop down here. So we put together a thing and we all signed it. The Christiansons, the Honickers, everybody, um, the Fransons and that you had to have five and a quarter acres to build down here mm. to stay on, to keep it green belt. That's, that's the, that's the legal for, for a green belt. I'm on a green belt. And so I'm not, I'm County still, and I'm, I'm on the green belt. Um, it's better for taxes and farming and everything to keep agriculture rolling. Well, Dixie had her attorneys type up this thing to be, to be done, you know, we all signed it to, you had to have five and a quarter acres to build. Well, Dixie's the one that sold out. And so, but she had 110 acres. So she sold that to a developer and we didn't even know it until my friend, you know, he haul farms it's over here, Kyle Smith. Kyle goes, Hey dude, what are you going to do? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, Dixie sold out. And I go, no, she didn't. He goes, yeah, because his kids hung out with the Willard kids. So, I mean, it was like gossip type, you know, where like I, <laughs> I called Carrie and I go, hey, Carrie, I heard you guys sold your, your land. Oh, yeah, well, we were going to come talk to your dad. And, that, and I'm like, well, yeah, that would have been kind of neat to know. Maybe we would have bought a couple of acres around us to, you know, uh -huh. it was kind of a bit of a blow. You know, yeah. we always thought that this was secure agriculture down here. And that started the snowball to the momentum of it all. Oh, yeah. And that was, uh, and it was, because everybody, they wanted to buy this place. You know, I mean, knock, 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 knock. No, it ain't going to happen. No, it ain't going to happen. Several. And then uh, Ginger, who was doing the purchasing for one of the developers, Ardero, who, uh, who, who really went, uh, all out on it. They came over and Ginger was offering, you know, they offered us quite a bit of money for this place. And that's like, nah, we're just, you know, and that's where him and I started talking and we started putting the, the trust together and everything. And it was like, Hey, Reed, don't ever sell. And I said, okay, I won't pop. He goes, nah, I mean, it. don't, you know, mm -hmm. don't let your brothers and sisters push you into it. Let's just, let's keep this in the family. And I said, okay, dad, you know, and so it started and then we started going to the, the, the um, city council meetings. None of these homes should be here right now. The beginning of this development wasn't supposed to happen until they built the infrastructure first up and up by town. 
coming over the railroad tracks, that's supposed to be a two lane highway each way with a medium. Yeah. Before yeah, this, uh, and that's right now. Yeah. And that was supposed to be done before any of this happened. Hmm. And, uh, but then they started, they started pushing, they started bringing the roads in. And dad and I see this is what we did for a living. My dad was also, you know, he trained me in what I know. So we're looking at what they're doing. We go, okay, they're just hogging out the streets, you know, figuring out their dirt quantities and these different things. That's what I, was, I tell people. I said, I knew what they were doing before they knew what they were doing, you know. <laughs> and uh, we just kind of walked. We watched and people coming over still offering money for this place. And we're like, no. Well, they were going to build condos right in front of us. And so I seen that on a plot plan and dad and I were sitting in a, in a, in a city council meeting and they had the plot plan up on the wall, up on the projector. And I'm looking at the road coming in and they were putting, they're going to put a roundabout right here and on the other side of our land. Cause our land ran right through this road in front of us. Uh-huh. And so I'm looking at it and I go, Hey dad, what? Because all we did was park farm equipment down that back corner. I said, "Hey, Pop, what if we uh, what if we give up that back corner and we take this front corner? And that way, they're not building next to the house." And he's mm-hmm. looking at it. And he just we're in a meeting. He goes, "See what you can do." So that the uh, Ken Bird with the architect and Ken and and uh, Ginger and I had a meeting, and uh, I said, "Hey, we'd like to." where you can bring that road through, we'll exchange some land. <laughs> Kim just got it. He was the architect. And I already knew what needed to come through that road, you know, because the sewer, the water, the gas, everything into this subdivision down here comes right mm-hmm. in front of our home. Mm-hmm. And so Kim's like, ah, yeah. So he came down and tried to go foot for foot, you know, and he brought his, uh, his uh, GPS down and started stabbing different grades around. And I go, nah, I forget it. He goes, you know, I go, Ken, we'll give you this corner right here. We want this corner right here. So they called us and said, okay, let's do it. And I go, okay, Pop, you ready? And he goes, go for it, man. It's yours. You know, I'm like, all right. So we traded. Uh, I gave up 0.48 acres and I gained 0.98 and a well. You know, wow. and, uh, and that's the only land exchange that you were involved in. Yep. No, no yeah. cat, no money, no nothing. It was just land. <laughs> Interesting. Yep. Nice. And yeah. so I gained a half an acre and another, another, uh, uh, point of diversion, another well. You seem really happy and really blessed. Yeah, it really. And it's like, what else, what else do you need? I don't have any desires to go. I would like to go check out a couple of places, you know, but for the most part, when I was younger, shoot, man, I slept on beaches in deep Mexico. You know, I, I spent, I, you know, I went and drove around on a soul search one time down in the Baja, uh, Baja, California down there and slept on beaches, met awesome people from all over the world that couldn't even speak English, but we'd sit around a campfire on a beach and, uh, I, I've done what I, 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 I've hiked the high UNs. I've, I've, I, when we lived in Newport beach, I had a 41 foot sailboat. So I sailed all over the Pacific and, went and wow. you know used to camp out on Catalina Island and and so it's like you know I've rock and rolled I've cut meat I've worked construction I've done you know what a way to retire you know I sell eggs yeah. sure I'm poor but you know I'm so wealthy in so many other ways 
You know, yeah. gas prices go up. And I go, well, babe, I guess we don't go to the market today. Yeah. <laughs> All things considered, I appreciate you welcoming us and being so kind to those that have moved here. Obviously, we, you know, we had nothing to do with the development other than, hey, there's a house I want to buy. <laughs> you know we what, Bo? It. But that, see, and that was it. Is, uh, we've been around development. I built, I built highways in California where the people in Laguna Beach protest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we knew development comes. How you had, And that's why we traded that land so they could bring the road through. We didn't do right. it because we had to. We, I mean, we could have dealt with people. I mean, shoot, we got our farm. But we, Dad and I sat and we said, how can we make this easier for them? And then mm-hmm. this is the kick in the butt. Was our, my dad raised me to be conscious of other people. And be conscious of what's going on around you, son. You know, and help when you can. And that road was a huge help. And they haven't put any of our fences back up. They haven't done Mm -hmm. a lot of different things that were supposed to be done. Or they said, oh, that's not our responsibility. It's like we we saved you, I would say, more than $2 million on where they were going to have to run all this. Because they couldn't run it underneath the power lines. They couldn't run Mm -hmm. it. They'd have to go down, come back up, and then back out. So it was huge. I knew it. Ken Berg knew it. My dad knew it. We all were on board. And the city, they kind of had their thumb in their ear going, oh, okay. You know, they really didn't know the magnitude of what we were doing. And we expected a little bit more cooperation than we got. And I was ornery. I was very mad. I I was barking at everybody. But when the people, when, when, I've seen y'all coming in, you know, but everybody who bought these homes right here, even uh, uh, Eduardo and Audrey here on the corner, they they found my phone number and called me. Are you the farm? Right? We're buying that house right there on the corner, and you're not ever going to sell, and it's so awesome and beautiful. And I go, oh, my gosh, this farm's a mess right now. But <laughs> <laughs> every one of these people in front of us have been so kind, and that's that's what we we wanted to be part of helping yeah. people i i feel what my ultimate goal is as i you know i'm 55 but i still got some kick in me yeah. is uh to get this farm neat shaped up and built where i can educate agriculture to the next generation we got to know that's where cool. food comes from and that's my goal if you want to know my ultimate goal get right with god and that's what the prophet just said. And you don't normally say it. I, oh, my gosh. During conference. Blew my, I, get, I get goosebumps because people didn't hear that. Because normally they're like, oh, get your food storage up. Get some money put away. <laughs> you know. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. Be human. Um, you know. Take care of your family. But when President Irene got up there and he says, we hope that you have your things in order. But it's here. Now get right with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, and I heard and that just rings so true of what he said. Get mm-hmm. right with God, because that's the only way from here that we make it. I think we're all doing OK for food and shelter, and, you know, hopefully. And, and 
all that is supposed to be in place. And that's why I'm here. I tried to leave this farm so many times. I hated it. I hated this place. I did. I couldn't stand it when I was younger. But I kept getting pulled back, kept getting pulled back. You know, when my when Audrey and I got married, we left it, you know. Get it. I told Dad, let let Lita, let Jimmy, let somebody else deal with this. I don't want it, Dad. I don't want it. I'm okay. And I ended up back here. I was just drawn. And now I understand because there's not too many people who are willing to teach the youth anymore agriculture. And I will get this, I will get this place cleaned up. I will get it in order. And I will start teaching agriculture because this is That's cool. This is who we are. Yeah. We're carnivores. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, real. I usually you sort of already answered this by if I usually end with a question of what would you say to your posterity in a hundred years in the future? You sort of said it, anybody, uh, or you sort of said many principles along that line. Uh, but anything else you would add, just to wrap up, what what would you tell your posterity a hundred years in the future? There's a little voice in your head. Listen to it. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's right. Because we all know that inner voice is our, our guiding spirit. That's the Holy that's the Holy Ghost working in our life. And if you pay attention to the Holy Spirit, regardless of where you're at, that's why I, I'm I'm a testament of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter if you're you're sleeping in the slums, living in a mansion, working on a farm, getting dirty on a construction site, getting headaches in your work in an office running for president or running for your life. You can always listen to that voice and always hear the Holy Spirit because it's there when you invite it. It's there. I've seen people come up from the depths of hell. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm alive today because I didn't give up on my spirituality. 